Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Katie Orr, in today for Marisa Lagos, who is likely on a beach drinking a margarita right about now. That's right, B. <laughs> or <laughs> me too, or will be soon. Today on The Breakdown, he has 1.7 million followers on YouTube. Uh, his channel is called Meet Kevin, where he's best known for handing out tips on real estate in- and investments. Gubernatorial candidate Kevin Paffrath is joining us. He's one of three Kevins running for governor, at least uh, in the top tier of candidates. But this one calls himself a JFK-style Democrat. He supports the recall of Gavin Newsom. And he says if he's elected, he's got plans to solve things like the drought, homelessness and crime. And some of those plans, he says... In his words, are a little outlandish. We're going to talk to him about all those things. But first, Katie, uh, we have to uh, give mention, of course, of the terrible wildfires that are continuing to burn uh, threatening South Lake Tahoe. Uh, You're up in Sacramento, um, not far from the mountains there. But uh, what's the air quality like, uh, first of all? And what are you hearing from people who may have, you know, live up there or live in that direction? You know, in Sacramento, the air is actually, well, depending on the day, um, the past couple days, it hasn't been as bad because the wind is primarily blowing east. Uh, we have been getting some smoke, but that's been from some other fires. But aside from that, I mean, I think people are just shocked and they're sad. Uh, this is a place, you know, as much as people in San Francisco go, people in Sacramento go up there all the time. I mean, I know people who go up there regularly. And I was just thinking today about how a place we took our daughter sledding, um, her first time sledding last year, it, it's probably all burned up. I mean, it's just it's just it's sad. So sad. It's heartbreaking. And it is heartbreaking. And, uh, you know, you see these ski resorts, which are also being threatened in some cases, using their snow machines to fight the fires. It's just bizarre. Everything's sort of upside down. Fortunately, um, there was a presidential declaration of emergency, so that should help get some federal funds that are much needed. Uh, but certainly we wish wish the best to uh, the firefighters and everybody who's up there or fleeing there uh, and hope that this is out as soon as possible. Um, let's turn to politics. Uh, there was a poll out this week 
PPIC, one of the, I'd say one of the top polls in California for sure. And on the recall question, uh, 58% of likely voters saying they will not vote yes on the recall, 39% saying that they will support it. And you know, Katie, that is remarkably stable. I mean, both within the PPIC polls, uh, which have been virtually the same for months, but it's also not that far from what the 2018 election was with Newsom getting 62, John Cox getting 38. So, you know, it seems like like people's feelings and attitudes are, are kind of entrenched in some ways. You know, I was talking to a couple voters this week and they were, you know, by and large saying the same thing. Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> He's, you know, there's a, a regularly scheduled election in 2022 that it's costing a lot of money that we could be using on other things. So perhaps this is something we can ask our guests about, Kevin Pathraft, to see what his take is on this. But it does feel like um, some voters, at least ones who only casually follow the, the politics, kind of feel like, eh, you know, what's we don't need to do this right now. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's bring Mr. Pafrath in. Um, we've got him, one of the replacement candidates running in the recall. Kevin Pafrath is a 29-year-old YouTuber. His channel, Meet Kevin, has 1.7 million subscribers, as we said. He talks about investing, real estate, stocks, and other things. He's also a Democrat who supports the recall. Kevin Pafrath, welcome to Political Breakdown. Good to have you. Yes, thank you so very much for being here. Happy to run as a JFK-style moderate Democrat. Well, what does that mean exactly in in 2021? I mean, <laughs> yeah, what it means is uh, JFK was was one of the reasons he was famous. Many reasons he was famous, but one of them was his New Frontier plan, which the idea was invest in the people first, better schools, better healthcare, then lower regulation and lower taxes, and that's exactly what I believe Californians want, and that's what I stand for. But. Here's a basic question. Why run for governor at all? As we mentioned, you have 1.7 million YouTube followers. You have a nice life. You have plenty of money. <laughs> why Why throw your hat into the ring, especially when you don't have any uh, experience in government? Yeah, I, I, and I totally understand the experience question. I'll answer your question as to why, but quickly, it's worth noting that uh, my experience is pretty dang varied uh, from 3,000 hours in law enforcement to real estate investing, economics and political science at UCLA. And all of these things combined just give me a sense of, of, uh, of, of purpose with economics and providing value to people. And that's what I do on my YouTube channel is provide value to other people uh, 99% of the time totally for free. Of course, we sell products and things like that as well, but uh, completely for free makes me happy providing people a service. And so one of the problems I've seen recently is that in California, we have a state where folks are paying very high taxes. They're heavily regulated. And as of recently, they've looked up and looked around to see what their government is doing. And they're seeing a lot of homelessness, unaffordable housing. Uh, the impression of, of a lot of crime. And so we've got these serious problems as well as fires and drought to where I believe the reason I'm running in my campaign is to make sure that our state doesn't go bankrupt in the next 20 years because of these problems weighing down our state. I don't want my children who are three and five right now when they're 23 and 25 to say, dad, why did you raise us here? Why, why, why did you move to Texas or Florida like everybody else did? Well, and you were born uh, in Germany, I think, and came here as a very young boy, young infant, really. I think you were maybe 18 months old or something. What, what, do, you, what do you remember about, about that? 
I remember nothing about Germany. <laughs> the only thing I remember is in kindergarten here in America, my teacher uh, getting very confused when she would ask me a question and I would I would tell her, uh, I'm sorry, hold on, I'm sinking, I'm sinking. And she was always very clear to say, no, you're, you're not sinking because I still had the accent. <laughs> ah, so do you feel like you have, do you feel some affinity to your, you know, your your native country? No. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Yeah, no, no, it's it's so I mean, I go there now and I speak German, but uh, I have such an American accent. People are like, oh, so where did you learn to speak German? <laughs> you know? so, They've got good um, beer, though. I, you get, yeah, that. that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Although Oktoberfest has been canceled. <laughs> Darn COVID <laughs> ruins everything. <laughs> So, you know, as Scott alluded to, you were born in, you know, around 1992 or so. Um, you've had a few elections under your belt. Can you tell us who you voted for in the 2020 presidential primary in California, assuming you voted in that? No, I didn't vote in the primaries, but I voted for Biden. Why oh, didn't you okay. vote? You, you, you know, are, I, yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, really, I've been the last 10 years have just been so focused on work, 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 and and uh, setting our base up, our family, getting our household situation uh, orchestrated. We uh, we were just the classic apathetic uh, millennials, which I think is a big problem. I think people should always vote. Now I voted on propositions and presidential elections, but uh, the the primary elections, I, I've oh, I've always sat them out previously. What about November? The you know the 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 big like you said you did I think vote for Biden right? Yep, yep. Which is a little more unpopular now after Afghanistan, but it is what it is. I mean, I couldn't have predicted that one. Yeah. Did you? I mean, you saw you call yourself a JFK uh, Democrat, and that's something Biden can relate to, I'm sure, because he was uh, you know a young man when JFK was president. But you know what? What um, you know? How do you see? I mean, JFK was somebody who known for to a certain extent reaching across the aisle. I mean, some of the big legislation that he worked on and Lyndon Johnson worked on later, like the Civil Rights Act, uh, could not have passed without Republicans. How do how do you see yourself, you know, running uh, or running government if you become the governor? Well, just exactly like that. I mean, we've, in my opinion, we, uh, and, and this is not a slam on media, just is what it is. I think media uh, has a tendency to focus heavily on more polarizing candidates because it's much more exciting, right? There are more fireworks uh, and, and uh, people tune into fireworks more. People who hate Donald Trump tune into Fox News to hear Donald Trump sometimes. Uh, and so that tends to lead to a little bit more polarizing uh, in, in, our, in politics. Uh, and for me, I believe that my goal is to bring back that sense of middle normalcy. And so I want to work with both sides. I consider myself a 51-49er when it comes to Democrat versus Republican. I'm just so in the middle. I, I care about the overarching issues that aren't Republican or Democratic issues. They're Californian issues, fires, water, housing, schools, crime, that, that's what I care about. I don't want to be a career politician. If I can come in, help California get back on track, stop wasting money, stop misleading Californians like what we have now, uh, unfortunately, with Governor Newsom, then, uh, then, then that's a, that's a uh, well-purposed uh, governorship. But, you know, you say talk about getting California back on track and that the state, you know, is not spending its money wisely. We have a massive surplus. I mean, depending on how you look at it, you know, between like 38 million and what, 70 million dollar surplus. So, you know, is the state really doing that poorly? We have a, a record amount of money in our rainy day funds. You know, we seem to be on stable economic footing. 
Yeah, well, that's that's exactly Governor Newsom's narrative. But I'm actually very glad you broke that down, because like you said, depending on how you look at it, half of that money came from the federal government in COVID relief funds. Then Governor Newsom went on a spending spree with uh, stimulus uh, for giving traffic tickets and whatever. And the L.A. Times reported that he actually dipped into our reserve funds by 12 billion dollars. So it was a big surplus is now negative 12 billion dollars, which is quite shocking. Uh, but beyond that, we've got to look at where did our half of the surplus, not the one time COVID relief money, but where did our one half came come from? And it came from a record season of IPOs and SPAC IPOs. This is very important. SPAC because IPOs. 20, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and these SPAC IPOs, super, super popular in 2020, not so popular in 2021. So we have this inflection point in the, the markets to where we're expecting much less revenues coming in for hedge funds and larger institutional investors in 2021 uh, for California. But unfortunately, Gavin Newsom is spending as if this sort of surplus is going to continue year after year after year. We're not going to have a 2020 uh, financial market year after year. It, it hasn't even been that this year. So unfortunately, when, when we sort of open up the, the hood and look into the details of the number, we've got a problem. We're not expecting that those numbers to keep coming. And when we look at the details of our population decline, we see that the people coming to California are either being born here or they're undocumented or they're coming for college. And the people who are leaving are businesses and families who contribute to the economy. So we're having more draws on the economy. The people contributing to the economy are leaving, uh, at least 2.8 million of them over the last 10 years. And the big surplus, half of it was not from California. And the other half that was is not sustainable. So when we look at the details, we got a big, oh. Yeah, next year's budget definitely going to be a little bit smaller. All right, we're going to take yeah. a short break. And when we return, we're going to continue our conversation with Kevin Paffrath. He's a Democrat running for governor in the recall election. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Katie Orr, and we're chatting today with someone best known for dispensing tips about real estate and investments on YouTube. 
where he has about 1.7 million followers, give or take a few. Kevin Paffrath is a Democrat supporting the recall of Gavin Newsom, and he's running to replace him as well. Well, you were up on the debate stage, uh, Kevin, with two other Kevins and a John, uh, Cox, Faulkner, Kylie, and you. Um, And, you know, I think the one, the bit of news I think that you made was your idea of you know, sticking a giant straw in the Mississippi River and uh, creating a pipeline uh, that would go across, I think, four different states and help us solve our water problems. Um, Where did you come up with that idea? Yeah, Big Think actually did a publication on this. Uh, Professors had gotten together. And and this is an idea that had been looked into in the past uh, as well. So this is an idea that's been floating around. Really, my intention is, is to broadcast that California does not have enough water. We are very, very dry. We're more dry than we've ever been before. And we got to think big. We've got to do whatever we can to make sure we have enough water. I don't really care if that means building more desal, uh, you know, wells, uh, water reservoirs, or building a pipeline. Whatever the answer is, we will figure out within our five-week transition period. And that's unfortunately what folks over at like the LA Times don't seem to listen to when I tell them this. So we have a five-week transition period to make sure we have a very, very solid, uh, scientific, executable plan as soon as we get into office. Because now we have all of the resources. Now the Army Corps of Engineers answers the phone and says, all right, this is going to be our best way to execute emergency action. And so I just want to make sure that everybody knows we have a water crisis. And I will stop at nothing to solve it because it's a top priority. So you have made a lot of your money as a real estate investor. I think by one count, you and your wife own 22 different properties in in the state. Um, So little questions about that. Are you a landlord um, in in this? As a real estate investor, where do you come down on the eviction moratorium that we've been hearing so much about? I don't consider myself a, a landlord. I technically I am, but Lauren, my wife, does all of our property management. <laughs> so technically, that's her job. Uh, but but yeah, look, we own 22 properties. The ones, well, we only live in one of them, so the rest of them are rental properties. Uh, and uh, I actually think that gives us a lot of really good perspective for understanding what we need to solve our housing crisis. And the answer is simple. We need a lot more houses. We don't need to infill our cities more. We need to build large communities outside of our cities and then connect those with proper infrastructure. But to answer your question, where do I stand on this eviction crisis that we have? Well, look, here's the thing. The reason we have this eviction crisis is because governors like Governor Newsom are failing to get rental money out to the people. The federal Congress, the United States Congress, passed $47 billion of rental relief, part of it in December of 2020 and the other part in February of 2021 with the two stimulus packages, $600 and $1,400. Of that $47 billion, only $10 billion has actually been sent to tenants. And in California, we're doing worse than that ratio. We've only distributed around 6% to tenants as of the end of July when they lasted their count. What do you think this of the moratorium, bad. though? What do you think of the moratorium as, an, as a well, policy? I, we wouldn't need the moratorium if people had their rent relief money. People can get one year of back rent for free from the federal government and up to three months going forward. If people got that money, if we were 100% paid, you could immediately lift the eviction moratorium because you would prevent those evictions because people would be caught up. Hmm. That is the number one priority for me. Keep the eviction up to when that money is distributed, but get the money distributed already. I don't understand why it has to take nine months to get the money out. If Nancy Pelosi sent us a stimulus check and said, you'll get it in nine months, 
there would be more riots at the Capitol. Let me ask you a question about criminal justice. That's a it's a big issue, and it's something that a governor, you know, in some ways can have uh, a big impact on. Although the voters have a, a big say as well as as does the legislature, but. You know, how would you describe your approach to criminal justice? You, you and I, for example, I know we, we had a little exchange after the Sirhan Sirhan parole recommendation came out, and you said uh, in your message that you didn't think uh, murderers should be paroled. And so I'm just thinking, like, how do you asking? I'm wondering how do you you know how do you think about these things? Yeah, so let's actually start there because it's a good way to loop into how we break the cycle of crime. To break the cycle of crime, we've got to put ourselves into the shoes of somebody who's now in prison for whatever reason it is. Somebody gets out, first of all, when they're in prison, they're costing California $240,000 for two years. It's a lot of money. Then when they get out of prison, they have very little money. They typically have very few job opportunities because it's very difficult to get a a job, let alone a career as as a felon. You can't survive on minimum wage in California. And so what happens? Well, most of the time you have recidivism. That is uh, more than, I I believe the latest statistic is more than 72% of, of people who are released from prison end up back in prison within three years in California. That's horrible. That's a very bad cycle of crime. So it doesn't make sense for people to get out if they're gonna go right back in. We gotta fix it. How do we fix it? With schools. We need to teach people financial education and careers, and we can give that opportunity to prisoners as well. And and so coming back to the the question, uh, in terms of parole, I mean, would you specifically, would you reverse the Sirhan Sirhan recommendation? And and in general, you know, because governors sign off, they either uh, accept or reverse parole recommendations for lifers, people who have, you know, uh, are in prison with life with the possibility of parole. Like, what would your approach be? Well, so specifically my approach on parole, I I am very reluctant. I think it'd probably be a case by case, which is what you have here. But for example, the RFK killer, uh, I I would be very reluctant uh, to allow that. I would be very likely uh, to overturn that. I will be a tough on crime governor. I do believe that Proposition 4757 are big problems in our state. And we need a massive community policing style reform package that's negotiated with Republicans and Democrats. So there's a lot of work to do. And I think in our reform package, we can address broader specifics for the parole question that you're asking. So the overarching goal, more community policing and education, future schools, uh, for example, uh, and then dealing with the micro within negotiations. Where do you come down on um, Democratic efforts right now to um, reform how law enforcement works? There is a bill working its way through the legislature that would allow would would make it easier to decertify uh, police officers for certain crimes. For example, there's been an ongoing debate about um, scaling back use of force in California. um, And these have been hard to pass, even in a Democratic controlled government. Um, What is your take on those bills? Yeah, well, all of the bills are they're, they're really like an eyedropper on a fire and like a, like a real fire. <laughs> like nothing happens. They don't do anything. It's the same thing as with housing. You pass a bill, you build a thousand extra homes a year. It does nothing. We need hundreds of extra thousands of homes. It's the same thing with criminal justice reform. We need to rethink massively these small bills. OK, an officer committed a crime. Well, maybe they should be decertified more. Look, OK, I'm all for that. But it doesn't go far enough. Uh, because it doesn't address the broader issues that we have. We don't need to defund the police. We need to properly fund the police while making sure we're not overfunding the police, having transparency in how that money is spent, and then focus on a new style of policing, which works in many cities, community-style policing, where rather than patrolling uh, impoverished neighborhoods at night with lights off and windows cracked, we install more lighting. 
We have present officers to deter crime rather than sneak up on crime and over police. This is really my opinion of a broad package. And then within that, a broader sort of infrastructure package, which would include uh, our plans on community policing, we can include parole questions, questions on decertifications. Those should be line items in larger packages. The fact that that's all our legislature is talking about, in my opinion, is pathetic. Like I said, it's an eyedropper on a massive problem. And it's basically the MO of what we have in California. Every problem we have, homelessness, housing, schools, crime, fire, water, everything the government does is an eyedropper to massive problems. And it's no surprise nothing changes. Let me ask you about COVID. It's a, it's according to that PPIC poll, it is the number one issue. And obviously everyone's dealing with it in one way or another. Um, and I'm wondering, what would you do different from what Governor Newsom is doing now on the pandemic in terms of masks, vaccines, anything? We need a three-pronged approach to handle COVID. Number one, we need better masking. N95 masking is a priority over just facial coverings. We know those are statistically much better for the wearer and the other person. Who pays we for also that? Just had pay, a, the government pays for that? For people who can't afford it, I'm accepting of the government distributing N95s to folks who cannot afford them. Yes, that, that is okay. Uh, I, uh, I also know that we do not have a push for HEPA filtration and ventilation right now, which I think is a crime. I think our three-pronged approach needs to be indoor ventilation and HEPA filtration, just like planes have. Why is it we go into a restaurant, there's not a HEPA filter to be found anywhere. No surprise, COVID cloud spread. It's ridiculous. You can't just rely on masks because people take their masks off when they eat. So you need filtration. You can't just rely on vaccines because people with vaccines, according to the University of Oxford, are still spreading the Delta variant. So you've got to have a three-pronged approach indoors. Masks, vaccinations, and filtration. So on your YouTube page, you are running, as you've told us, as a JFK style Democrat. Yet on your YouTube page, you put out shout outs to the Epic Times, uh, uh, influential right wing media outlet. Um, you give another shout out to uh, Ben Shapiro, who's a former editor of the right wing Breitbart News. Um, he supports a total ban of, on abortion, was a big Trump supporter. Why are you giving him a bad, a big shout out? And what message do you think this run uh, brings to voters? If you're running as a Democrat, yet, you know, giving shout outs to these conservative uh, media organizations? Well, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, references are different from shout outs. So a shout out would be like, hey, go check out my buddy Ben or something like that. That's that's not what I'm doing. Uh, what you have in an intro reel uh, to my introduction of my plan, it's a 53 minute video, is a clip of Ben Shapiro decrying how horrible homelessness is in California. And it was one of the reasons he left California. Now, a lot of Californians might be happy he left, but the point is he is correct. Homelessness is a disaster in California. It doesn't matter who says it. The fact is California has become an embarrassment when it comes to homelessness. And so that's the kind of reference that you're referring to. I wouldn't, as, as an influencer, I wouldn't call it a shout out, uh, but hey, I don't want to mince words either. Yeah, he appears in the video is complaining about homelessness. And I agree with him. I think homelessness is horrible, but that doesn't mean that I agree with his other. But it, but it does say on your uh, on the on the page shout out right, and uh, I mean that that's the word you use shout out to 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 Epic Times shout out to Ben Shapiro and you know I don't see that balanced. I mean if you're a Democrat hmm. wondering who to vote for, and you know they see that you're you know pretty closely. Uh, 
I don't know what I say aligned, but you're referencing uh, a, a group that the New York Times calls a Falun Gong-backed newspaper uh, that uses uh, aggressive tactics, right-wing misinformation to create a pro-Trump media empire. I mean, why would a Democrat, why would that be appealing to a Democrat? Well, uh, yeah, thank you for that. Well, first of all, thank you for <laughs> enlightening welcome. me. I, I think you're, you're, you must be maybe referring to the description because it's not in the video and, and, it, and you might be right. I will make sure that's changed. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, that's certainly not the intention. So uh, now regarding uh, the Epoch Times, look, here's the thing. The Epoch Times was one of the first media organizations that reached out to us for an in-person interview when I announced my campaign. They, uh, we, we asked them, we said, hey, look, you know, when when uh, when folks look up the Epoch Times, they see some pretty critical uh, uh, descriptions of the Epoch Times, uh, and they assured us. They said, "Look, we 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 know this exists. That's not who we are. The point, though, regardless, is we just want to sit down with you and give you an opportunity to share your message to our voters, because there are people in California who watch our content and who are voters in California." And if I'm going to run to be the governor of California, then I need to do two things. One, I need to admit mistakes where they are. And you got me on this shout out issue. So we'll get that taken care of. I agree with you. Uh, probably in hindsight, we shouldn't have had them in the video, but uh, that's that's the past now. Uh, number two, uh, regarding the Epoch Times, look, if I'm going to be the governor of the people, I need to represent everyone. And so I don't really care if Fox Business reaches out or CNN reaches out, uh, or y'all reach out. I, I'm willing to talk to anyone with an audience because I believe the problems we have in California are problems that everybody can agree with solving together. So you have said that any candidate is better than Newsom, um, but you also said Larry Elder wouldn't be better. Um, Elder is, of course, leading all the other replacement candidates, including you, in the polls. So, you know, how do you square your statements on that? Who, obviously, you'd vote for yourself, but I mean, Newsom and Elder are on far sides of the political spectrum. Where do you come down on that? Yeah, so I, I still believe that any candidate is better than Newsom, in my opinion. And I have a full list of his failures outlined at meetkevin.com. And the reason I say that is because 2022 is right around the corner. If we end up with Elder for a year, I don't believe he's going to get anything done. I think his appointments are going to get sandbagged. His executive action is going to get overturned. And his vetoes are going to get overturned. So I don't believe he's going to get anything done with a 75% supermajority in the legislature. We've never had this large of a supermajority, not during Schwarzenegger, not during other Republicans, never. It's very, very, uh, a very, very powerful supermajority. So the reason I say the legislature running California might be better is because uh, Gavin Newsom has misled us. Surplus, rent relief, fire prevention, water prevention, housing crisis, yeah. mismanagement of cannabis, you name it. Yeah, we're short on time, uh, so I apologize for jumping in. But real quick, so you, you are saying it sounds like that Larry Elder would be better than Gavin Newsom. Just real real quick, because we're short on time, just so I, just so I yes, understand. Yes, because it would give us an opportunity to replace him. All right. Kevin Paffrath, thank you so much. Appreciate your joining us. That'll do it for this edition of Political Breakdown, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer today is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Julia Chan, Otis Taylor, and Erica Aguilar. I'm Katie Orr. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at one Katie Orr. And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can see what I'm up to on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. Thanks for listening, and do not forget to vote.
Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.